learn to handle God's money, right? And uh, this is the third message in a, in a four-part series, and I was going to conclude it today, but I felt inspired to preach one additional message about miracle money next week to conclude, because I believe in miracle money, right? I do. I just believe God can just, he can leave something that you didn't necessarily see coming. Is that right? And so we have just been journeying along the way, and we have been, um, you know, we looked at kind of the purpose of the tithe, different things that have, you know, that have found a biblical basis, and, and especially on week one when I connected. And, and I want to just go back real quickly to the context. The word tithe simply means a tenth. And there's certainly a debate in the Christian community as to whether or not the Old Testament practice of tithing is applicable to the New Testament church. And that's something that you have to work out yourself as you pray and you read the Word of God. I've attempted to persuade you based upon my understanding of Scripture, and I'll continue to do so today. So when I reference the word tithing, I do so with a clear conscience. I don't, do, I don't believe that as I do it, I'm putting a legal mandate to the degree that I'm bringing you under a legalistic requirement uh, to the Mosaic law that you might not be able to fulfill. But I believe I'm showing you a privileged opportunity that you can have before God that connects you to men and women of faith that allows you to prove. Malachi 3, God said, Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. So before we get into it today, I want you to stand up and let's pray and let's ask God to bless these things and just quicken the word of God here among us today. Father, I love you and I'm so grateful to be in this house and I'm deeply appreciative of this opportunity so humbled here today by this great and vast congregation that's come out to receive the word of God. And I know you have heard my prayer in private, and now I repeat it publicly, that God, I pray that not only would preaching be easy in this house, Father, but that the word of God would be easily received, that our hearts and minds would wrap around the truths of the word of God, and nothing would hinder us today to receive your word. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. Very quickly along the way, I've answered what I, when I, in my private devotions, I wrote down nine reasons why I believe people don't tithe, and I've slowly been answering them. And the ones that today, most of my sermons over the latter couple of weeks have kind of already began to answer it. And number two was, I don't believe I'm required to in the New Testament. If you go back and listen to last week's message, I shared with you some principles that have really affected my life as I compared Paul's writing, especially in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and also 1 Corinthians 9, to the biblical commandment to tithe that was in the Old Testament. And you have to work out, again, your own salvation in that context. But, but I believe that God's created this opportunity for us in the New Testament. Some say they tithe their time and their talents. That's a great thing. But I'm telling you what, go the extra mile. Come on, somebody. Don't stop short of anything. Continue to fulfill and honor God. Number nine was, I don't know much about it. Well, that's why you've been coming to church the last three weeks, so that you can be taught and you can be inspired to study and read and meditate upon these things. Here's the reality. Everything that we're talking about is in the Scriptures. Everything, this is not something we made up. It's not something that, you know, like Paul or the Apostle Peter said, we have not followed cunningly devised fables. 
You know, we, we, we're basing what we do in our belief system upon our interpretation of the Word of God. One of the key scriptures that I've shared with you is all scripture, Paul told Timothy. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable. It includes also instruction in righteousness. Righteousness is not just right standing. Righteousness is also right living. It's our belief that as we learn to honor God with our financial stewardship, that, that that is right living. That's an expectation that God has of us. As you study the Word of God, you'll find the Scriptures talk openly about money, talks openly about stewardship, talks openly about tithing, talks openly about giving, talks about receiving, because that's part of the process, right? Jesus said that you give, right, and then you shall receive because men will give into your bosom, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom, the Scripture says. The Bible tells us about greed, warns us about greed. The love of money is the root of all evil. Money is certainly not the root of all evil. Money is but a medium. It's a means of exchange. That's all it is. It has of itself no evil nor virtue, right? Neither, neither one. It's just a means of exchange. But if you are overwhelmed by an, uh, uh, an unhealthy pursuit of of gain or uh, uh, you're covetous for the things of this world. Jesus warned us. A man came to Jesus and said, Lord, divide, you know, help my brother to divide my inheritance or our inheritance with me. And he, and he warned them. He said, you know, who's made me an arbitrator over your affairs? And he warned his disciples of covetousness, saying this, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses, right? And so the scriptures covers it all. The reality is Jesus used the medium of money, economics, more than any other thing that he taught about in the Word of God. I'm not saying he taught about money or taught about economics more than any other thing. I'm saying he used it as a tool to teach because we're all familiar with it. We either have some in our pocket or we need some in our pocket, right? And he did so even more, and I know you've heard this, than heaven or hell, Jesus warned of greed. Jesus also taught the value of sacrificial giving. A widow put in her last two mites into the treasury, into the temple. If you've studied the, the history of the temple, there were 13 large containers that people brought their offerings and their, and their gifts to the temple. They were so large, a person could lean against one. Jesus was leaned against the, the, the container. And, and he watched a widow woman, and he did not stop her. Those of you that think it's wrong for people that are impoverished to continue to give, that's an unbiblical way of viewing things because God sees sacrificial giving. God affirms sacrificial giving, and God promises to bless those who give in sacrifice. Jesus didn't turn her away. Jesus didn't say, well, dear lady, you're the one that's in need. You shouldn't give. Jesus commended her. And I, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I'm certain that God sent a blessing to her for her faithfulness and giving. So Jesus warned of greed, taught the value of sacrificial giving, but do you know what? He needed miracle money to pay his taxes, right? And so he sent Peter down to the Galilean Sea with a fish or a hook and a line to cast in a, a line and to catch a fish that had a coin on the inside of his mouth to pay his taxes. I believe in miracle money. 
You want to learn about miracle money? You come back next Sunday and we'll talk about miracle money. Because again, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. See, I believe in the tithe, and I've been trying to take you about along my personal journey. And as a pastor, I have to be very careful. I want to be an influencer. I do. I want to influence you, but I don't want to intimidate you. I don't want to try to use coercion or manipulation to, to, to move you to do something that I believe in. My objective is to teach and instruct to hopefully inspire you to study the Word of God for yourself to get this written on the tablet of your heart, and then you begin to walk it out and live it out in your own life, right? And so as I've been doing so, one of the things that I have talked about in the tithe, in the context of the tithe, not just the term giving. I know that term giving is used uh, across the New Testament, especially in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. Does it say tither? I know that. I'm not ashamed to borrow the term tithe from the Old Testament. And I've shared with you my journey of discovering in my own personal life of the deep value of having been grafted into the olive tree. It's a phrase that Paul used in Romans chapter number 11 when he wrote about the Gentiles who believed in Christ were grafted into the olive tree. The olive tree represented faithful Israel, not simply ancient Israel, but faithful Israel. Those were the heirs according to the covenant promises that believed in God and then believed in Christ. Those who did not believe in Romans 11, it says they were broken off as a branch, as unbelief. They can be regrafted in if they believe again. But until that time, they're a broken off branch. But you and I, Paul used this analogy, we were a wild olive plant, or we were a wild plant, olive tree, or we were a wild tree. But God took us and he grafted us into a cultivated tree. It was a cultivated tree, meaning there was a way of life, a way of living. There was a way of doing things, way to approach God, how to honor God, how to know God, to know that you didn't just carve any God that you wanted to out of wood or stone, but that the invisible God abode in the, uh, abides in the heavens and that we worship him by faith, not by sight. That's the tree we've been grafted into. And the writer Paul said, and we draw from the root and the fatness of the tree, which means we extract life out of the promises that were made to Israel. We extract hope. Paul said in Romans 15 and 4, the things that were written beforehand were written for your learning, your admonition. It's a teaching lesson for us. We're able to connect to it. Because I've been grafted into the olive tree, I'm not afraid to say that I'm numbered with David. I'm not afraid to say that I'm numbered with Abraham. I'm not afraid to say that as a pastor, I prayed this morning that God would give me a double portion like fell on Elisha. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? Because I take that, the example of the Word of God and it becomes applicable to me and when I be, it becomes a part of my prayer and my profession and God blesses me, what I've done at that moment is I've drawn, come on, I've drawn from the root and the fatness of that tree. Right? And so, if I do that in other areas of my life, I do it with the tithe as well. I studied out the tithe. I see the value in it. I see the principle. We can argue the doctrine. We can take you. It doesn't, we don't have to say what just began in the Mosaic Law. Many of you know 
Jojo referenced it last Sunday night, that it actually originated with the Melchizedek when Abraham, the father of the faith, took of the spoils of war and brought a tithe and gave it to Melchizedek, who was the king priest of Salem, which would one day be Jerusalem. And that's an example for us to see because Melchizedek represented Jesus. And when we give, you're not just giving to this church. You're giving through this church. You're giving to Christ. Right? Like Abraham gave to Melchizedek, you're giving to the Lord. Right? You're tithing. You're honoring the Lord. So I've taken you through many passages of Scripture, and we've looked at the place of the tithe, and we've talked, we'll briefly mention that today, and we've looked at a little bit of uh, some of the purposes of the tithe, such as this, the connect to a fellowship. I shared with you that I really believe that if you're a part of a local fellowship, where your heart is, there your treasure will be, right? And where your treasure is, then that's where your heart will be. If, you're not, if your heart's not connected to a church, then it may be because you've not put your treasure in a church. All right, I'll just keep on. I'll just keep pressing on. Connect to a fellowship. Support. I believe in support for ministry. The Bible says they that have preached the gospel, it's ordained of God that they should live of the gospel. I'm unashamed to tell you that, that I, I, I drive vehicles that I have paid for as a re, uh, uh, been a recipient of a salary that was drawn from your gifts. I'm unashamed to say that I eat supper at night, that, that I've taken uh, you know, my salary that comes from your gifts and it provides food for my family. I'm unashamed because I committed my life to follow God and to preach his word. And he said, 1 Corinthians 9 and 14, God hath ordained that they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel, right? I know there are those that have abused it. I know that there are those across the, the American horizon and with the, the, the media ministries that have exploited giving, but that doesn't mean everybody does, right? It doesn't mean that we have to live impoverished lives as pastors. We're just like you. We want to be blessed, and we want to leave our children an inheritance for our children's children. Do you hear what I'm saying? A good man. Let's go a little farther. And I've talked to you about that and how it supports the ministries of the church, how it, so it supports missions, how it supports benevolence, how it gives us opportunity to provide food in a food pantry or the many ministries that we're able to support locally in the, and then also around the world. And the promises, as we closed last week, we talked about the blessings that are associated. The promises are too many to even mention in one sermon. Right? Because God just promises to bless those that are faithful. Today, I'm going to take you into a little bit of the process real quickly. And the title of my message is simply, it's tithing. This is how we do it. There's actually a promise. There's actually a passage in Scripture that shows you how you ought to tithe. Shows you the means. Kind of begins to set the stage. Sets the precedence for you. We're going to just kind of read it and glean it. It's in Deuteronomy chapter number 26, and we're just going to follow it all the way down. All the way, it's 19 verses. I'm not going to go in great depth. I'm not going to be a theologian. I'm not going to argue deep theology today. But I'm going to show you that there's an expected order in the context of you giving of your tithe and your offering to the Lord. Now, as we do this, let me say, first of all, that in this passage of Scripture, it begins with the first fruit, and it's distinguished from the tithe. The first fruit is different than the tithe. 
but at the same time, for today's message, I'm kind of weaving them together, just so you'll know. I don't want you to go home and say, well, Pastor Brown did not understand the difference between the first fruit. The first fruit was the first of increase that God gave them when they went into the new land. It's a very special offering that they would bring to the house of God. There are those among us, and I know from personal uh, talking with Dr. Brassfield, that, that there are those among us that that very first check that they write out monthly to honor the first fruits in the belief system that they possess is their tithe. It's not at the end. It's not the last. It's not mixed in amongst all the other bills. It's the very first check because they believe in the first fruits principle. Right, that's powerful in and of itself. Come on, someone. But again, for today, just so you'll know, I've kind of just woven them both together, all right? Is that all right today? We'll, we'll debate it and, dis, and distinguish it on another time. As we go down and as we read this very quickly today, and it will be rather quickly, I'm going to just remind you of some of either our traditions, our practices, or the New Testament teaching that it corresponds and correlates to this Old Testament principle. Does that make sense? I'm going to just simply, as I read a passage of Scripture, if there is something in the New Testament that can connect to that, then I'm going to connect it to it so that you have a deeper understanding that as the writers of the New Testament were writing concerning giving, they, I believe in my heart, they had the Old Testament practices in the back of their mind. And it influenced. Does that make sense? It influenced them as they wrote. So it's here in Deuteronomy chapter number 26. And it says in the first verse. We're just going to read these down. And it shall be when thou art come in unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. And possesses it and dwellest therein. He said that thou shalt take. Of the first of all the fruit of the earth, there's the first fruits, which thou shalt bring of thy land that the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shall put it in a basket. Again, I've referenced the first fruit previously, but also the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 16 and 2, he wrote concerning receiving an offering to the Corinthian church, he said, on the first day of the week. On the first day of the week, when you come together, he said, take what you've laid aside as God has prospered you and be prepared to bring that in your offering. Verse 2 continued, he said, and take it and put it in a basket. Now, a basket, as you may see here today on this altar, is a basket. It's there on purpose. It's a woven basket because it reminds me of the biblical command. Now, certainly for you, and for me, let me reach down here, is we also have the envelope. We have the envelope. That's a basket as well, right? We're putting it in something. We're going through a process. We're, we're connecting to something here. Now, I know you say, well, pastor, this is rather trivial. No, it's not. I'm telling you, it's not trivial. When you're connecting to biblical principles, there's nothing trivial about it. 
God looks down and he sees the integrity of your heart. And notice this, he said, and you take that basket and you go to the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name there. If you were here two weeks ago when I began this series of messages, I took you to Deuteronomy chapter number 12 where I believe five times in that chapter the, uh, Moses said, you can't just do what every man wants to do is what's right in his own eyes. You can't just worship the way the heathen are worshiping. You don't erect a shrine on every hill. He said, when you get ready to give your tithe, that's recorded explicitly in Deuteronomy 12, take it to the place. And I shared with you that I believe everybody that's born again should have a place. Well, let me try that again on this side, perhaps. I believe that everybody that's born again should have a place, a people, a fellowship. Listen, I'm telling you, you can mail your check in to T.D. Jakes, but T.D. Jakes is not coming to the Cleveland County Hospital when you get sick. Let me go a little bit farther. You can send your offering off and your tithe to some. Listen, the tithe, it's our belief, belongs at the place that you come and get fed the Word of God and you find fellowship and connection, right? And that's the place. There's something about belonging to a people and a place. There's something about going. The Bible says in, in Psalm 122, I was glad when they said unto me, let me go up into the house of the Lord. See, I hope there's an excitement in your life that every Sunday when you get ready to make your way out of your difficult life, and many of you live difficult lives, that there is an expectation in your heart about coming to this place. That here at this place, you're not going to be beaten down, beaten up. You're not going to be condemned. You're not going to be uh, isolated in a corner. What you're going to do is be lifted up, encouraged, and taught the life-changing power and principles of the Word of God. And it ought to cause something inside of you to long to long to come to this place. And so when you come to this place, you bring your offering to your church fellowship. And then notice this, he said in the third verse, he said, and you give it to the priest. That's us preachers. That's the pastors. And yes, I'm not ashamed to say that I'm directly a part of the accounting process of this church family. I've heard in days gone by where people have said, pastors, you ought not be involved. And, and, and said, you shouldn't be involved. And I found out this. I, I felt this way. What do you mean? You mean I can be entrusted to, to minister to your soul, but can't be entrusted to be involved with the financial accountability of this church and of your life? That doesn't make any sense. And so you've got to trust the heart of pastors. And you've got to release it into the hands of the priest and into the basket. Does that make sense? Let's go just a little bit farther. And then he said, set it down on the altar. It's a sacrifice. You bring the sacrifice to the altar. And you leave it there. It's released into God. And we place it in the altar. And I love the third verse because this is when this thing begins to transition. Third verse. And, and notice what he said real quickly. It's the third verse. And in those days you go to the priest that's in those days and you say to him. Notice this. And you say to him, I profess this day. There's a profession that we've got to learn to connect to our giving. A profession is a declaration. A profession is a recognition of truth that's been written in your heart. You don't profess something you don't believe in, right? You don't profess something that you've not sold yourself out to that it's absolute truth. 
and it's a profession that declares that God's unveiled some things to you that you believe in audibly displaying them or audibly speaking them and making that declaration. You believe in a declaration of faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You're audible. You speak. You've heard me say that I believe profession is a part of your prayer life. The Bible says that when you pray, say. Pray pray audibly as often as you can. Right, speak. And so notice what he told Israel to say. Look what he said. He said, and get ready to say this. He said, and thou shalt speak. Look at this. Thou shalt speak. And you shall say before the Lord thy God, a Syrian ready to perish was my father, being Jacob. And, ja- and he went down into Egypt, and he sojourned there with a few, and he became there a nation great and mighty and populous. And the Egyptians evil entreated us, and afflicted us, and laid us upon hard bondage. And when we cried unto the Lord God of our fathers, the Lord heard our voice, and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. And the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand. My God, I feel the Holy Spirit right there. And with an outstretched arm and with great terribleness, awesomeness, and with signs and wonders. So he said, when you bring your offering to ancient Israel and you put it in the basket and you give it to the priest and you lay it on the altar and you start your profession, and your profession is, I know where I came from. I know where I've been when God found me. I was in Egypt. You know what it means to you and I in the church? Egypt often represents sin. See, you and I were sinners, and we were estranged from God. We were aliens to the commonwealth of Israel. We were fornicators. We were idolaters. We were covetous. But in our sin and in our affliction, God still loved us. And we called on his name, as the scripture says, and we cried out for redemption. And the love of God found us. The love of God searched through all of your brokenness, through all of your family's history of tragedy and hurt and sorrow and addictions and affliction and God found you right where you were and he took you and he washed you and he cleansed you and he made you whole and he sanctified you just like Israel was brought out by the power of the blood of the lamb you were brought out by the power of the Passover blood of the lamb Jesus' blood upon the cross of Calvary delivered you from your transgression and saved you and redeemed you and now you're a new creature in Christ Jesus old things have passed away all things have been made new you've been delivered by the power of God You've been delivered from sin, delivered from sin's power over you. And I'm telling you, church family, when you begin to give, that's what compels you to give. Really, at the heart of this sermon is a compulsion. You say, what is it? As I'm compelled to give because I recognize what God's done in me through Christ. I'm compelled to be a part of the body of Christ and to share in the fellowship of worship is because of the recognition of all that he's done in my life. I love the ninth verse. The ninth verse said that he didn't just bring us out. That's so important. He didn't just bring us out, but he brought us in. Well, can I take a moment to just, I feel that right there. On a special day when we've got some very special guests among us that are learning to come out of Egypt. Right? They're coming out. 
Come on, they're coming out. They're letting go of an addiction. They're letting go of, uh, you know, brokenness. They're letting go of family curses. They're letting go of things that have been spoken over them. They're letting go. They're coming out. But see, the God that takes you out is also the God that will bring you in. So he won't just take you out of something. He'll bring you into something. He'll take you out of what you used to be to bring you into what he wants you to be. That's what he'll do. He'll deliver you out of sin and deliver you into the kingdom of his dear son. He's been, he said we were brought out of that land and we are now brought into Christ. And all the promises of God in him are yes and they are amen. Israel was brought into a land that flows with milk and honey. You and I are brought into a kingdom where God's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. My God, I just need to, I prayed this morning and said, Lord, I think my preacher needs to show up today. I think that Parson Brown needs to move out of the way and the Reverend Leotis Brown needs to show up today. And I just felt it right there on that passage of Scripture. You see, God has given us everything that, everything that pertains to life and godliness. There's not any good thing for you that God withholds from those that love him. There's not any good thing God has ordained you for good works. When God drew you out of Egypt's sin, God destined you, designed you to be a light for his glory. Just as Israel was a light, so too you are a light for the glory of God. He said, then in the 10th verse, let's keep on journeying down. He said, behold, I brought the first fruits of the land, which thou, O Lord, hast given me. I brought the first fruits. See, in the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, it's as God has prospered you. Some of you, let me tell you about tithing. And I believe that you have to learn to tithe. And sometimes you have to adapt to tithe. And sometimes you have to adjust to tithe. And sometimes you have to start where you're at. First Corinthians, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians says it's not based upon what you don't have. It's about what you do have, right? And so you got to overcome the stigma that's in your mind that looks at an amount. Has absolutely nothing to do with the amount. It has everything to do with the integrity and the intention of your heart. That's what God sees. And that if you have, and your, yours may diminish if it was compared to someone else. God's not going to compare it because he knows what you've got in your hand as God's prospered you. Again, it said in this first fruits offering in the 10th verse, once again, you set it before the Lord. Look at this. You set it before the Lord in the 10th verse and look what you do. And then you worship. I want you to think about that for a moment. I, maybe we've got our offering misplaced at our church. Maybe we've got it misplaced because we put our tithes and offerings at the end of worship. And then I say something like this. We believe that giving is an extension of your worship. But maybe we ought to have it at the very beginning, Dr. Brassfield. Maybe we ought to just enter into his gates with thanksgiving in his heart, in our heart. Maybe we ought to come in with rejoicing and celebration. And maybe the first thing we ought to do is say, God, I'm bringing, I'm just bringing a portion of what you blessed my life with today. I was a Syrian. I went down into Egypt. I was caught in sin, but you delivered me and brought me out. And I'm brought into this place today to celebrate you. And I'm going to lay it on the altar. I don't even, Shane, if you want to take the day off, I can worship anyhow because... 
Because of what he's done in my heart, glory to God. Worship. He said rejoice. Look at this in the 11th verse. He said rejoice. I'm telling you, you should, it should not uh, turn your insides out in order to give. There should be a celebration connected to your giving. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. I heard John Hagee say one day, but he will take from a grouch. But let me tell you, God loves a cheerful giver. So let there be a smile on your face, right? Let there be joy in your heart. Notice the 12th verse, the tithe is mentioned here. This is the tithing of the third year. Only for just to elaborate briefly, the third year tithe belonged to the Levite that lived in the city. The other two years, the tithe was taken to Jerusalem. On the third year, it was given to the Levite that belonged to the city as well as to the fatherless, the widow, and the stranger. So as we continue on, the 13th verse, it says, Thou shalt once again say. Look at this 13th verse because this is very important. We're near to closing. Y'all stay with me for a few more minutes here. But I got to talk to you about this because this is the tipping point. This is where, this is where the, you know, it just, this is where the thing begins to hinge right here. It's one thing to celebrate it. It's one thing to believe in it. It's another thing to face things that want to take it away from you. And you have the courage to hold on and save it and bring it to God. Did y'all hear that? Now, there's a profession of faith, 13th verse, that's connected to it. The scripture says, hold fast to your profession of faith. But here is an unveiling of when you bring your tithe, when you bring your tithe and you actually wrote this out. Let's say this is Sunday today and you wrote your check out on Monday. And let's go through. Now, of course, again, this was in the context of the third year. So they kept that third year for the entire year in their house, waiting to bring their tithe and to give it to the Levite at the end of that particular year. And notice what he said here in the 13th verse. So stay with me. He said, first of all, the tithe is hallowed. It's holy. It belongs to God. I'm telling you, that will help you alone if you just get it that way. If you just begin to look at it that way and say, you know what, that belongs to God. It's something I've seen in the Word of God, and it belongs to Him. It doesn't belong to any other part of my life but to the Lord, right? That will help you that alone. But he said here it's given to the Levite, which we've already discussed this. Look at the 13th verse further. He said, I have not transgressed. I've not transgressed your commandments. That's why you're performing the doing of it. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 said, Don't let it just be a readiness of your mind. Let there be a performance of the doing of it. See, anybody can respond emotionally to a sermon. Everybody feels like a tither on Sunday when the preacher's preaching on tithing. Oh, it's real quiet in here now, right? Everybody's with me, Pastor. I'm with you right there. But listen to this. Notice what he said right here. In the 14th verse, right here, here's the tipping point as it goes further. He said, I've not eaten it in my morning. What that meant, if I can just translate that for you real quickly, even when I went through hardship, even when financial troubles that I didn't expect came my way. Now listen, church family, God has designed this as a point of faith for you. Right? That God has designed this as something that will prove his faithfulness to you as you obey him in faith. 
Let me, can, are y'all catching that today? And I know y'all see that I'm on the end, and I'm trying to get you, I, but I want to, I've got to finish strong. This is the real, this is the, this is where it's going, this is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, right here. It all hinges right here. See, it's one thing to be moved emotionally in a service like this and say, Pastor, I agree. I'm with you. I believe in it. It's the next thing to do is that when you've determined to begin to tithe, then all of a sudden a hospital bill that you weren't aware of shows up right? A financial trouble that you didn't see. A vehicle breaks down. A vehicle breaks down, and then suddenly you're trying to decide of what you've got to do. Do you take that which you designated to God and use it for that purpose, or do you draw back and say, God, I've not eaten it in my morning. God, I'm faithful. Are you hearing what I'm saying? i tell you what, and then he went a little bit farther. He said, neither have I taken it for any unclean use. Let me just go ahead and say this. Well, I didn't pay my cable bill first, God. Right? Those of you that are still smoking, I didn't buy my cigarettes first. Oh, now it's really got quiet in here. Well, I'll just keep meddling. Oh, I didn't go to the movie. I know you waited and got it on a dollar DVD. Now, that's what he said. I didn't take it for any unclean use because this is holy to God. Right? I didn't use it for entertainment purposes. Isn't it amazing people that don't believe in tithing but still believe in going to the movies? Oh, I I could preach all day right there. Don't get me started. I try not to be condescending when I preach. But here the author said, I didn't use it for unclean use. You need to be able to say that. You need to be able to say that before God. Not in arrogance, but in declaration, remember. It's not in arrogance. It's profession. God told you to profess this. God said, profess this before me. He said, nor have I given it to the dead. I haven't given it to dead works, to things that don't produce life. But I brought it into you, God. Look at this. The 14th, I've hearkened to the voice of the Lord your God. Let me ask you today, can you hear God's voice through my voice today? Can you hear God speaking to you today through the voice of the preacher? That's the objective, God's voice. Can you hear? Can you hearken to the voice? Well, the question is, will you obey God's voice? It's not enough to just be a hearer of the word. You've got to be a doer of the word. That's why Paul said, and so let me tell you, tithing demands faith. Right? Tithing is a stretching. Every person here who is a faithful tither went through the process of learning to let go and trust God. We did. Every man, woman, boy, and girl among us that's been a faithful tither. And so look what he said in the 15th verse. And I'm going to begin to invite the worship team back to the platform with me because we're going to close in celebration and we're going to close in giving our offering. As Shane and the worship team began to make their way. He said, look at this. He said in the 15th verse, he said, look, he said, now look at this. He said, God, I've done all that you've commanded. God, look at my heart. So I, I said, this is how we do it. He said, so we're going to bring it to the priest. We're going to put it in a basket, which is an envelope. We're going to put it on the altar, and we're going to worship. And then when we begin to worship, in our worship, we're going to reflect. We're going to re- be reminded where we were. We're going to be reminded that we were sinners. We were apart from God. We had no knowledge of God. We were bound to addictions. We were bound to lust. We were fornicators. We were adulterers. We were homosexuals. We were everything that was grossly immoral. 
world. But God loved us. He found us. He saved us. He redeemed us. By the power of his virtue and the power of his blood, he brought us out, snatched us out of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. And we begin to rejoice. And when we think about it, it puts a smile on our face. And we usually are not very emotional, but all of a sudden we begin to get emotional and we begin to celebrate. And then we begin to realize that we belong entirely to God, that he bought us by the precious blood of his son. I'm not my own. I belong entirely to him. I don't just tithe my time. I don't just tithe my talent. In him I live. In him I move. And in him I have my very being. Everything that I own belongs entirely to God. And so I learned that now God brought me out of bondage into his son. And now I've found friends and family that are just like me. Right? Saved and sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. Right? Full of the love of God and the grace of God. Growing and nurturing in our faith. And God, I come to this house to celebrate. God, I come to celebrate. Now, every one of us, when we tithe, let me tell you what happens. You create need in your life. I'm not going to, I'm only going to say this just because I'm, a, I'm transparent before you. Historically, Sherry and I have historically tied between 15 and 20% of our income every year. And that's a man that's raised six children with as many as three or four in college at one time but let me say this and I only say that just because I'm transparent trying to be transparent before you so when I tithe and give my offering I create need in my life I do just like you do when you learn to give it creates a need in your life but I'm telling you that's the need that God gets ready to fill that's the need that God promises that he'll bless you that's the need when God will send the ladybug to eat the spider mite. Come on, somebody. To rob the plague that the enemy sent your way. God will move. He'll shift. He'll adjust. It doesn't just come back to you in just my financial resources. It comes in peace, happiness, joy. You become a delightsome land. Times are failing me to read the end of the text, but you become a delightsome land. Your children become blessed. You then get to watch them become tithers. And you begin to see them learn to be blessed. And then you get to watch them say the things that you used to say. See, I say things like this. I'm highly favored. You've heard me say favor ain't fair. I was on the phone last night with Alyssa, who was in California. And on the phone, she said, Dad, I know this is true, and I say it often, but favor ain't fair. All that rain that's been coming to Los Angeles, y'all saw that? The Dream Center, where she dwelt, where she's living at in the, in the room, she said, she said the room on this side of us, it, 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 it leaked and water came in, and the room on the other side, water came in. She said, but favor ain't fair, glory to God. I don't know where she got that attitude at. Yeah, I do know where she got that attitude at, because we profess what we believe. Come on, church family, won't you stand up today? And I want to encourage you today. Here's how we're going to close today. Here's how we're going to close. We're going to just worship for a few minutes. We're going to worship, and then I want to ask you today.
I want to ask you to add your agreement and just bring your offering. Put it in the basket and make your declaration. In the 15th verse, in the 15th verse, here's what the prophet said. He said, at that moment, you say, Lord, will you look down from heaven? God, will you look down from heaven? And will you bless me? And will you bless my land? Isn't that what it says? Right? Will you look down from your holy habitation? And will you bless your people Israel? When I started to preach, I told you I was going to not just tell you to tithe. I was going to show you how to tithe. This is how we do it. This is how we do it. We do it as worshipers that are aware of what God's done in us. God, I love you today and I celebrate. I celebrate.